When something gets larger than the scene that created it, it's pretty much dead. When we were in high school and stuff, like in the mid, early 90s, it's like the emo was kind of synonymous with hardcore. Another word that could mean something greatly different if you grew up in Southern California than if you grew up on Long Island. It was like punk rock and screaming hardcore. That's what it kind of meant to me, and we didn't really fit in with that sound, so I kind of, it kind of puzzled me why people were calling us that. And welcome to No Filler, the music podcast dedicated to sharing the often overlooked hidden gems that fill the space between the singles on our favorite records. My name is Travis. With me, as always, is my brother, Quentin. And the voice you heard in the intro was Jim Atkins, frontman, lead singer of Jimmy E. World, which is the band we are going to be talking about today. And he was talking about emo music and how he thought that they didn't really deserve that label. And in all honesty, I have never used that label to describe Jimmy Eat World, which proves how much I didn't know about emo music going into this episode. So Q, what about you? Did you, when Bleed American came out and Jimmy Eat World was all over the place, did you think of them as an emo band? Well, let's, let's figure this out real quick. So, oh, we're going to figure it out, my friend. Okay. All right. Well, so I don't think I knew the term emo when Bleed American came out. What what age? So we're not talking about Bleed American today. No, we're not. No, that we're was not. the album that, that they got really famous that, for. That, yeah, that is the album that put Jimmy World on the map. And along with bands like Dashboard Confessional, uh, brought emo music into the mainstream. But there are many different flavors of emo music is what I have discovered and what we're going to kind of get into. And we're going to talk about the history of emo and pretty much up to Clarity, which is the album that we're talking about. But for this particular discussion right now, I think the reason that I never considered Jimmy World an emo band is because when we were listening to music, getting into music really, which is around that time, right? When Bleed American hit hit the scene. Emo meant a very particular, specific sound. And more so, it was tied to like a certain look. You know what I mean? And like a scene, right? Yes. So... Yes. And, and that, that sound, that emo sound that I'm referring to, is considered the third wave of emo music. There's four waves, because apparently... Emo is, is making another comeback, and that's the fourth wave recently. But bands like Fall Out Boy, Taking Back Sunday, yes. you know, Under Oath, The Used, like those are bands that to me were obvious emo bands. That's third wave. That's third wave emo. Okay. okay Jimmy yeah. World that's... is second wave emo. Okay. Damn. But so before we get into the history, Q, I'm going to do a little exercise here because this is relevant. I'm going to name some bands and you're going to tell me if, 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 if you would consider them an emo band. Okay. Okay. Fallout boy. Absolutely. Under oath. Yeah. Amberlin. Amberlin. No, I w I wouldn't have thought of them as emo. Weezer. No, <laughs> no. Newfound glory. Newfound glory. No, not emo. Punk. Isley. Remember them? Yeah, remember them? Isley is not emo. Panic at the Disco. Uh, on the fence for that one. I got news for you, buddy. All of these bands have the emo label applied to them. And here's, that's the whole point. So, the term emo has pretty much been hijacked by third wave emo. And like, that's, that's what people think of when they think of emo music that the, you know, fallout boy, the sound of fallout boy and, and then screamo being like under oath, right? Yes. I was going to say for me growing up, you know, in the time that we did emo is synonymous with screamo for me. That's what I always historically, you know, growing up 
getting into music that the, at the time that we did, I always thought of emo bands as the more hardcore screamo bands. Well, so and here's what's interesting about it: first wave emo, which is we'll get into a little bit later, had a lot of screaming in it. Interesting. So the funny thing is, third wave emo brought back some of first wave emo. Huh. But so let's get we'll get into that later. So yeah, let's get into our what you heard. It's my brother. Okay, yes. So let's get into our What You Heard. And uh, for those of you who do not know, this is our weekly segment where we both bring a band to the table that we've kind of been listening to lately, uh, just to give kind of another flavor before we dive into the album of the week. Uh, So Q, uh, What You Heard, what you've been listening to lately. uh, Let's hear it. I listened to Clarity all the way through for the first time this past week. Uh, just preparing for the show and I immediately dove back into those bands that I was listening to in like 2002 2003 and you remember Watashi Wa they're also on the list of emo bands did you think that they were emo absolutely not well they are but this is a band that was on uh, tooth and nail records which was a record label that had a huge impact on me as far as the artists that they signed. Yes. And for me in my high school years, let's name them off, dude. Let's name off those bands. Amberlin. Amberlin. Yeah. May. May. Yeah. Emory. Yeah. And uh slow, slow coming day. So here's the thank you. Tooth and nail is an emo record label, dude. So every, artist on that label is emo and and that's another thing it seems obvious now when i think back on it but it it really that's that's what i was about to say dude like at the time i i didn't put all of i didn't group all of those bands under that same genre you know um anyways this album the love of life this this is the album that i got into so this is um with love from me to you on Watashi Wa's 2003 album, The Love of Life. Make the world new Things you dream to do With love for me and you So that's what Tashi Wa. Yeah, and and I remember that song now that now, now that I hear it again. And so the funny thing about this is it's it's like, well, what else would we call it back then other than emo music, right? Because when you hear it now, it's like, well, yeah, you know, that's really the only genre to put it in. So emo's short for em- emotional. Q, what a great segue, my friend. So I've essentially spent the last week digging into emo music, the history of emo music, going and listening to like what's considered the first emo band and whatnot. So we're just going to go right into it and we're going to kind of skip over my quote unquote, what you heard, but what it, basically it's, it's what we're, it's what we're about to play, which is we're going to take a trip back to Washington, DC in 1985. That is 
the widely agreed upon origin of emo music is the DC hardcore punk scene in the 80s. So. Damn. Dude, I, I would, never in a million years would I have thought that emo started in the 80s. Never in a million. Well, here's why, dude. Emo stemmed from hardcore punk. So basically, like, if you think punk rock in the 80s, right, you've got, like, the Mohawks and, you know, the leather-studded vests, right? And, like, you right. know, the Sex Pistols and, like, Minor Threat. The and Misfits. All misfits, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the hardcore punk scene. And, like, you know, what, what are those? Uh, uh, no effects and all them. Uh, yeah, yeah. So anyway, that scene was called hardcore right hardcore punk there was this offshoot of of hardcore punk bands in washington dc in particular that uh formed and were sort of grouped together and considered um part of this movement if you will called the uh the revolution uh summer i think yeah that's what it was called it was called the revolution summer and that was the summer of 85 in dc and that was the social movement that these bands were lumped into that uh, sort of they tried to kind of push back on the, the mainstream media's like portrayal of punk. Right. OK. Like, the you know, the imagery that you think pretty much what I just described. Right. And, uh, you know, their concerts, their live performances, they would basically mosh pit the moshing originated mm-hmm. in this movement because instead of like hey, hang on a second hang on you're telling me that that moshing wasn't a thing before this revolution summer moshing moshing was a moshing was a thing but you would get a fist in the face in the mosh pit gotcha before this because so like part of this revolution summer movement if you will was mosh pitting became more about just hey let's shove each other around you know so maybe it was trying to 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 have a better image for punk yeah for like the punk yes that's what they're trying uh, to do scene so okay. you know that makes there sense. were there was a handful of bands that were considered part of that movement two of them um are widely considered like the like the origin of the term emo uh started with these two groups uh, the first, so the first one, and I've got a, I've got a clip here. Uh, this band is called Rites of Spring. So part of the, along with you know this movement, it, it really the only difference when you look at these bands compared to the other hardcore punk bands was uh, their approach to lyrics. So their lyrics became more reflective and like more. Um, expressive as far as like uh inward emotion or whatever and that's that's why you know when you listen to this it's going to sound like a punk band because that's what it is but the term emo was used to describe the lyrics more so than anything else in the 80s let's play the rights of spring clip first uh this song is called theme and I'm gonna I'll read the lyrics afterwards if you can't tell what they are. But so so when did this song come out? 1985. Okay. Wow. All right. Cool. Let's hear it.
Okay, so the lyrics, and if I started crying, would you start crying? And it goes on to say, and hope is just another rope to hang myself with, to tie me down, something real comes around. So hardcore punk fans would be at the venue listening to these guys, and they would, you know, kind of make fun of the lyrics and stuff because yeah. it was kind of corny you know what i mean showing their emotions on their sleeve right? compared to other punk bands from that era you know what i mean i feel like right i feel like the lyrics of punk rock bands it was all about rebellion right like rebelling rebellion, against yeah, like, yeah. the system the, society and all the that social stuff. norms and um yeah so i these, know i know a lot of uh, not a, a lot of punk bands were were very political as well in the 80s yeah so these these groups uh started like turning it in on themselves when they wrote the lyrics right yeah, yeah. So that's okay. So let's now let's transition to this next band. Also, let me back up by saying there is this really good list uh, on. There's this Rolling Stones article that covers the. Um, it's their ranking of the the 40 best emo albums of all time. Okay. So I'm gonna keep referring to that, uh, just to give you context. They put this album, uh, the Rights of Spring album, uh, as number two on their list. Number two. Okay. So that's a pretty big deal. This next group, uh, they're called Embrace. Uh, and this song is called Dance of Days. This is number 24 on the list of 40 greatest emo albums, according to Rolling Stone. But this group in particular is extremely important to the emo music history because this is when emo, the term emo was coined to describe this band. Uh, so... There was this magazine, this punk rock magazine. I think it was actually a skateboard magazine uh, called Thrasher. And uh, there was an article or a review of this album in 1986. And the author coined the term emo core to describe the music. And he said, uh, it goes by the name of emo core or emotional core. Bands like Embrace, Rites of Spring, Beefeater, among others, are taking the severe intensity of an emotional projection and adding it totally into their respective live sets. Crowds are said to be left in tears from the intensity. So he was using it more to describe the live act. You know what I mean? But that's because these singers would get so into it, uh, in the live performance when they were singing these really personal, like reflective lyrics that they would literally sometimes like come like to tears while they're up there. Not like sobbing, wow. you know what I mean? But just like the emotional intensity of the moment. So yeah. the, the, the the term emo core was, was coined. And then that just over time was just shortened to emo. Got it. So let's hear their, let's, let's hear the song again. It's called dance of days. And when did this come out? 1986. I really liked that a lot, dude. I mean, you could start to see the, the you know, you can start to hear a little bit of, of what happens later on in emo music. You know what I mean? Like, you can start yeah. to hear it a little bit. But yeah, again, I liked it a lot. And, it, dude, that's blowing my mind right now that that, that that came out in 86, that these, they were yeah. doing, you know, because that's not punk. 
you know it's not punk but it but it's it's, it's definitely no, but it's definitely got punk uh like a punk underpinning it does or whatever. but like yeah it, like you're you know. saying like you can see those you can see right. this gradual change yeah and another another key another key uh, aspect of emo music compared to punk or or uh, you know hardcore rock is that the uh the guitar and the music in general uh has more of an emphasis on uh melody like melodic uh, almost to the point of like math rock sometimes, which is what, you know, we covered that uh, with the Foles episode that we did. But yeah. uh, again, it's more about the lyrics back in the 80s. That's that's how the term was coined and all that. And, you know, when you read these lyrics, we all struggle for our dreams to be realized. They end up objects of our own despise. Why? The dance of days. So again, it's like, it's almost like, you know, and this is, this is kind of funny because like, another uh, cliche of emo the emo scene kids you know what i mean is that they would like write or type on their live journals you remember live journal back then yes i had one for a while dude. you did did you really yeah but yeah so you know these are th- these are very reflective lyrics like somebody's writing in a, a journal you know or whatever so that, that's kind of the origin of it so now let's jump into the 90s so this is considered first wave emo right Second wave emo is considered to have started um, in the Midwest, and that is where uh, this next band. And you, you'll you'll see a definite shift because you got to think like this is you know, it's ten years later. Um, ten years? It's it's ninety six, ninety seven. So this this came out in ninety seven. So yeah, just about okay. Ten years later, uh, and this has kind of another gone on to receive sort of iconic status for. For emo music, this was number three on rock and uh, number three on Rolling Stone's list of forty greatest emo albums. But what you're going to hear now is the definite shift more toward like melodic guitar and uh, you know kind of more of that like upbeat punk rock sound, but with you know almost no uh, no hint of hardcore whatsoever. Like that's like the screaming and all that. That's that's out of the picture at this point. So this band is called The Promise Ring. Uh, they were formed in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And again, you're going to hear a shift more toward melodic music. And this is when you're going to start to hear the trademark, like whiny voice, you know, that everybody associates with emo. Yes. Second wave emo is, is kind of where that started. So this is called Why Did We Ever Meet? <laughs> It's interesting to hear that, dude. Um, knowing that it came out in '97, because it does have a lot of a lot of punk in it. You know? Yeah, but it's but it's, it's, it is different, uh, right? It it's is the, different. Exactly. It's the um, when you listen to the punk from the '80s, like it's it's that shift more toward that kind of more playful punk, I guess. More playful. I mean, but see. So I immediately thought of Green Day when I was listening to this. More so the guitar riffs and the drumming. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, it had even that... even some of the way that he was singing, but then it, it does kind of steer in another direction away from um, 
those more classic punk rock bands from the nineties. Yeah. Like I mean, Day. this is the, uh, that's the punk sound that you and I first, uh, heard as far as like punk, you know what I mean? Like blink, blink right. two was our, was our like intro to punk. You know what I mean? Which is what late nineties even for, for, for them. Yeah. Uh, but like well, green day, you know, their green day's album dookie came out in 94. Yeah. You know, and that's got your, that's your classic nineties. punk. Yeah. Right. Um, and that was playful, but but then listening to the, to this song from Promise Ring, like it, there is yeah. a difference with it. It is, yeah. yeah, like you said, it's more playful. Um, what are the lyrics? Do you have those pulled up? I've got one little snippet here. Under that threat of sky, we lied together. Why care about the weather? It only ends in darkness. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> out, dude, like out of context, not hearing the song whatsoever. Like that's a pretty depressing lyric. Like it's basically he's like <laughs> yeah. saying like, why do we even give a shit about this nice weather, dude? We're all going to fucking ends die. In darkness. Yeah. So like, <laughs> yeah. but, th- but then you listen to the song and it's, it's got a very upbeat, you know, yeah. bah, 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 da, bah. you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah, that really part, the that, that part in particular is where it steers away from this, from the typical punk of the nineties. But again, like in this, whole. in this particular context, the reason that this is emo is because of the lyrics, dude. That's right. why. So, like, anyway, like, to give some more context, like, two years later, in 99, um, New Found Glory's album came out, their first album, Nothing Gold Can Stay, right? So, uh, and remind me again, New Found Glory is on that list of emo bands? Yeah, New Found Glory is an emo. Okay. I mean, that's the thing, that emo is just, a, a you know, a term that gets applied in addition to other labels that are put on these bands, because obviously, New Found Glory is a punk band you know what i mean it's a punk pop pop punk is what i would put them under now like in retrospect you know right exactly so um okay so now now here's a little interesting um piece of trivia here q so the name of that song was why did we ever meet does that Mm -hmm. do those words sound familiar to you why did we ever meet they will they don't once i okay here is why uh they do sound familiar to you you remember the song? <laughs> do you remember the the Jimmy World song, a praise chorus on Bleed American? Yes. So the lead singer of the Promise Ring, his name is Davy Von Bolin, and Jimmy World and Promise Ring uh, toured together in the nineties. Okay. And praise chorus, which was on Bleed American, uh, Davy uh, sings backup vocals on the song. Uh, on on the song's chorus, particularly the um, you know the crimson and clover, ah that one, right, over and yep. over. So that's that's over Davey singing that part, and then Jim starts singing, you know, our house in the middle of the street. Why did Why we did ever meet? We ever meet? There you go. So he's referencing this song while the while the lead singer is in in the studio with him. Wow. And then you remember the dude. Remember the next part of the song? <laughs> he says. So come on, Davey, sing me something that I know. Yes. Yeah, dude. So there you go. It's all tied together. Cool. So anyway. So so obviously um, this band, Promise Ring, was was an influence on, on the boys and Jimmy, huh? Well, they were writing... Well, here's the thing, though. They were... They, I mean, they were writing music at the same time. It's not... Okay. Promise Ring didn't come before Jimmy World. Okay, so I guess it's time to let's jump into Jimmy World then, huh? Yeah, so okay, now we're going to finally get to Jimmy. So before we talk about Clarity, which is the album that we're talking about today, uh, I wanted to play a snippet from their previous album, which was called Static Prevails, just to kind of give you a contrast between like how their sound changed. Because when you listen to Jimmy World, when you listen specifically to Static Prevails, and then Clarity, and then Bleed American. Like, basically, they take Emo Wave 2 and and completely transition into and usher us into uh, Wave 3. And you can hear it. You can totally hear it between these, these three albums. So uh, let's listen to this song. It's called 17, uh, and it was off of their album Static Prevails, which came out, I believe, in 96. This came out a year before... The Promise Winning album came out, but um, anyway, this is called 17. Hung up here on a web 
You know what that reminded me of, dude? What? Tony Hawk Pro Skater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, dude, so that was is that the same game. singer, dude? No. So here's the deal. Okay. Here's the dealio. Prior to Clarity, Tom Linton, which is rhythm guitar and lead guitar, was the primary singer. Now, uh, Jim Adkins would sing also. Like he would do lead. He would sing lead on some of the songs. But it was mainly... So wait, was that him that we could hear in the background? Yeah, background yeah probably. Singing? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I thought I picked up on, on his voice somewhere in there. I just wasn't sure if, if he was just singing a little bit differently than he usually does. Yeah. Than, and the, you know, than what I'm used to. The funny thing is when you listen to the tracks on Static Prevails where he is singing the lead, you you can tell it's him, but he's still... You can you, you can tell he hadn't really like mastered his his singing voice, I guess, because yeah. Yeah. Because he, he fully like hit it uh, with clarity. Like he found his voice and like, and all that jazz. That's probably why he pretty much took on lead vocals from then on out. Uh, but Tom Linton uh, sang lead on the majority of the tracks on static prevails. And he has a very different voice. Does like, he stick around? Oh yeah. Yeah. He's, he's there the entire, the entire run of the band, but okay. But he just, goes to background vocals there is a track on clarity where he sings lead vocals um hmm. it's called blister and you could tell i mean you could like i said they have very two very different voices so and his his voice l- lends itself more to like traditional punk sounds you know what i mean right that's what i was thinking so and that's all important right because when they and shift that, to you gym, know what listening to that song too it's not just the voice it's the guitar strumming patterns it's the drum beat it's all punk you know i yeah. guess that's really that's where it all stems from but that's the thing emo music ha- has al- almost always had like a, a punk like bass layer to it you know what i mean well and like you said emo is just one descriptor you know yeah um, right exactly emo and punk uh, right screamo because if you think about it there's screamo in there there's screamo there's hardcore emo there's and here's the thing there's there's emo pop emo mm-hmm. pop music is third wave emo okay and that's what jimmy world pretty much jimmy world and dashboard confessional like transition from second to third wave by by writing emo pop music got it all right so let's transition now let's talk about clarity this is their third album jimmy world they were signed to capitol records prior to Static Prevails. So Static Prevails was their first record on a major label. Clarity is like when they kind of, kind of like what we were talking about with Spoon, where they kind of went all in on it, you know? Uh-huh. Because they, you know, you know, they kind of had already written all the songs for Static Prevails and were being like courted by different labels and then they made the, the, the record. And that was in 96. So that's three years later they come out with Clarity. So... It was kind of their first like release under Capital, if you think about it that way, because they've been signed, they had all that previous material. Now they're working on new material for a new album on this major record label, and like you can definitely hear like a, a change in, in quality of like the recording and like so it's better produced and all that stuff. Their singles off of this album are "Lucky Denver Mint," which is the song that you heard in the intro of this episode. And Blister, which is the song that Tom Linton sings on. But um, there is a huge change compared to all the stuff that we heard previously to a more poppy sound. And that's where the emo pop label gets thrown in there. But they still retain a lot of the, um, I don't want to say hardcore, but like, you know, the thing that makes Jimmy World so great is that they go from like, they still have a little bit of like the first wave in some of their songwriting but they also like they transition well from one from one song to the next and the two songs that i'm playing off this album kind of prove that so the first one is called your new aesthetic this is track number two no track number three you're going to hear kind of that punk heavy sound but with jim atkins on lead vocals and uh, anyway let's just play and then we'll talk about it Standards in a process selective the formulas to thin. But it takes more than one person. 
person so everyone jump on i'll miss you when you're just like them imitate So, great song, right? Great song. Can I just say real quick, dude, because it's eating me inside. Uh, he obviously borrowed a little drum beat from, from Dave Grohl there. That is I mean, straight who up di- to my... Dude, who didn't? Who didn't? <laughs> that, is the, that is the my hero drum beat, man. Yeah, dude, you're right. And But that's the thing, dude. They're, you know, this is the 90s, you know? It's the '90s, and that was a that's a badass drum beat, man. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would I, I would do it if it if it fit well in whatever song I was trying to add drums to. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, dude. But um, it, it, yeah, absolutely. That's a great song. It's a great song. Yeah. So Jim Atkins on vocals again, um, and like you can totally hear this is them sort of like perte- uh, perfecting the formula, right? That goes on to become absolutely the Bleed American absolutely. album because. This song sounds a lot like Bleed American, the song, right? Um, as far as like, like I really like that that kind of transition into the chorus where it's like that sort of like off key, like guitar, like I like string that a lot, bending too. That's type my thing. Favorite part. Yeah, that might be my favorite part of the. It's of yeah, the it's song. great, man. Uh, but you wouldn't necessarily consider this emo what we think of when we think of emo. Dude, I was gonna say the exact opposite, man. Like listening to this now, it's so obviously emo. Well, I mean, and uh, yes, now knowing the full like history and context of emo, yeah. But I mean, as far as third wave emo, when we think of Taking Back Sunday or like Dashboard Confessional, right? You know, or Watashi Wild that band he played earlier, like you uh-huh. wouldn't you wouldn't fit them into this. But as I said earlier, like they sort of like transition us into third wave and that's where this next song is going to come in and you're going to hear it completely okay, cool and you're also going to hear huge similarities to the kind of stuff they continue to write for bleed american uh, so anyway this next song is probably one of my favorite tracks on the album it's called 10 and uh what i've always appreciated about them is the vocal harmonies that they do um mm-hmm and this song has a great example of that with, with the chorus and whatnot. But anyway, again, this is called Tin. Uh, it's, uh, uh, who cares what track it is, right? Yeah. 
No one cares. That's I know. We, we keep saying, like, who cares? Let's stop doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, yeah. Uh, track number eight. If you're curious, but yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's hear it. So, right? I mean, it sounds nothing like the first track we played. It sounds nothing like the track from Static Prevails whatsoever. No, not at all. Or does it sound anything like any of those other bands that I played earlier? But, like, this is, like, the transition into the more softer, like, sort of um, melodic, you know, where it's less about the punk. There's, there, there's not even a hint of punk rock at all in that song, right? No, not at all. And like I was saying earlier, it sounds a lot like the vibe and the feeling that you get from some of the songs on Bleed American, like um, like Hear You Me. You remember that song? Oh, yeah. It sounds almost exactly like that. So like I said, they are like per- perfecting that formula, you know, that, that pretty much brought emo into mainstream. How many years between Clarity and Bleed American? There, there was three years between Static Prevails and Clarity, and then two years between... Clarity and Bleed American. And that's the thing, too. Anytime we talk about length of time between albums, we're talking about length of time between release dates. You right, know, right. Like, yeah, who knows how, how, how far back they were writing songs for Bleed well, American. Well, dude, here's and the thing. It could have been even, even in the same time. They, they wrote, they, they wrote uh, Sweetness around the same time because there's a, a um, really expanded edition of Clarity where there's a demo of Sweetness attached to it. Wow, dude. I think that might be my favorite Jimmy World song. Well, what's funny, dude, is okay. You remember back in the day, Nirvana or not Nirvana, uh, Napster, <laughs> LimeWire, all those, right? Yes. The first, the first version of Sweetness that I heard was this mm-hmm. version. I just didn't realize it. Wow, you know what, dude? Had, you're, it's I'm probably in the same boat. I just don't remember. Yeah, I I downloaded Sweetness off of LimeWire or Napster, and it was this version. It wasn't the Bleed American version. So I remember when I heard the Sweetness single that came out yeah it sounded way different and i actually i actually like the uh the uh demo version better yeah. so i'll have to put that in the show notes but um anyway so i have another clip from the song because um, there's sort of a change uh there's like a there's a uh, there's a bridge and you know we like to play bridges around here we love bridges yeah because it gives you another another um part of the song that you're not going to hear on the verse chorus but anyway, uh, let's hear that and we'll keep talking about it.
really pretty harmonies. Yeah, I just love that chorus, man. It's just so great. But yeah, yeah. Um, there's another thing that I really love about this song. It happens in the chorus. But basically, after they sing uh, their their line, the drum and the guitar do this like I don't know how to how to really mimic it here, but like the drum, the snare drums hit twice. Ding mm-hmm. ding. That's gonna sound dumb if you play it back. <laughs> that didn't sound like a snare drum at all. <laughs> well, that was that was uh, the, that was the guitar strumming along with the snare drum hit. Okay, but anyway, like I said earlier, it's a huge transition from the previous two waves of emo music right yeah Yeah. but it sort of ties in the more well i mean there's a lot of bands that 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 we didn't well okay let me just fucking bring this up our sidetrack next week is going to be this band called american football they are also considered an early emo band and they maybe perhaps could be considered the first emo band that that um stepped completely away from punk rock and that's probably kind of what influenced jimmy or jim i should say jim atkins because what they do so perfectly is they retain the punk rock vibes but they also do sort of the uh, slow melodic stuff and they like they did both perfectly you know what i mean and that's how they made it so big because they were able to come out with i mean think about it dude they, they they released Bleed American, which was this like really heavy, loud song, and uh, the middle, like you know what I mean. I love that song. I was just that song was just playing in my the, head while the middle? you were talking just now. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and and sweetness, like dude, think yeah. about how different those three songs sound. You know what I mean? I was just thinking that too, man. Like, uh, sweetness. It's like sweetness is the perfect in between. Yeah. Uh, of Bleed American and the middle. Yeah, that's where they got such huge success, dude. Yeah, Bleed American, um, or uh, the middle specifically. That was such a big single. And oh my god, dude! That song was was pretty big for us too, dude. Yeah, I remember playing that song together when we were first kind of learning our chops with our instruments. You know, like we, yeah, I, I remember us playing that song together uh, with just guitar and drums. Yeah, I remember and I, sweetness. I learned uh, the solo on that song, and and I must have been fucking walking around like I like I was yeah. fucking bee's knees, dude. Yeah, it's such an upbeat song. It's it's so good. Yeah, and so, the lyrics on that song are so great, very uh, well, uplifting. Which is kind of funny because emo lyrics are usually not uplifting, but emo music has been like you know tied to like introverts and like people who are like have self-doubt and all that stuff you know what i mean yeah yeah so the middle is kind of like a you know hey it just takes some time yeah you know? don't write yourself off yet it's only in your head right so anyway we'll do an album uh, we'll do an episode on on that album at some point because there are some killer songs on there that were not singles yeah like oh, authority, yeah, authority song, gold, man. cautioners what about your house was that a single that's my favorite song on the album um I love that's that. That's an song. excellent song or excellent song. Uh, hold on. You rip my heart right out. According to according you to this listing, right Bleed American, Praise Chorus, The Middle and Sweetness were the singles. Yeah, dude. Bye. So yeah, Your House is great. Cautioners is kick ass. If you don't don't. Oh. Ooh. The, yeah. I forgot about that one, man. Yeah, dude, we'll do, well, yeah. The Authority song was great, man. Yeah. Damn. All right. Yeah. So we'll do we'll do that later. But yeah, it, it's important to like hear like what preceded Bleed American, and that's what Clarity is. And Clarity has gone on to receive like critical acclaim. What's funny is they actually got dumped from Capitol Records after this album came out. No way. Yeah, because it didn't see much success. Uh, Lucky Denver Mint, which was the single, was on. Um, I think it was on Never Been Kissed. That film, oh, it was like a radio. That, uh, never been edited. kissed. Yeah, with Drew Barrymore. Drew Barrymore. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> yeah, so that oh. kind of apparently that song because of the movie had sort of a cult following tied to it. So, mm-hmm. but anyway, there's a lot of great songs on Clarity that I wasn't able to play. Like I had like three or four songs that I wanted to play on this episode, but 
you'll just have to go back and listen to it. But yeah, so we, like I said, we barely scratched the surface on the history of emo. There's a ton of other stuff out there. I mean, think about it, dude. We jumped from 87 to 97 with those two bands. There's emo music happening all in between there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But you can hear the evolution. Like, I always think of music genres kind of like the evolutionary tree. You know what I mean? Where these these branches and then they branch off, right? Absolutely. So like, yeah, man, that's music for you. I, I mean, that's yeah. I, I'm obviously I'm not like some fucking like that's not revolutionary in any. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, but it is it is fun to look at it that way and, and to yeah. So when you find all those uh, points that that connect, yeah, because when you go to you know, there's the punk rock branch that branches off into hardcore punk. I think that song emo. that that you uh, that you played earlier. Uh, from that band embrace was a great song to hear that where those where that point split into those two different genres yeah because uh rites of spring the song that i played from rites of spring sounded more like a traditional punk song yep with the exception of the lyrics and then embrace it still sounded like a punk song but it started to get a bit more playful yeah a little bit of of more what you associate with with emo and then you yeah. jump to Promise Ring and like it sounds completely different. Mid-90s. Yeah. yeah. But there's a lot of stuff happening in between those two bands. Uh, and one of which um, we'll do uh, next week for our, our sidetrack. These guys are called American Football. And um, they are, I think they just had one album. Um, but they've they've gotten, they've, since then they've gotten back together and released other more material. But they kind of have a cult following, you know. Um mm-hmm. But their music is a, a lot more melodic and slow. So that's that side of emo. Cool. I'm excited to hear it. And they do some really interesting things. with it. It's a, it's a great listen, um, the album, all the way through. But we'll get into them a little bit uh, next week for the sidetrack. So that's it, man. That is our like quick overview of emo. Like I, I learned a hell of a lot, dude. One thing I, I, I didn't really realize... Um, and reflecting back on it, it's obvious now, but like the vast majority of music that we listen to in like middle school and into high school falls under the emo umbrella. I just didn't realize it. Yeah, right. It, it, it is obvious now looking back at it. Because it, if emo music simply means melodic guitar mixed with emotional, like reflective lyrics, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no wonder so many bands get thrown under there. You know what I mean? Yeah. But when you branch off to that, yeah, I definitely wouldn't have put Isley into that that category. Man, I dude, that's a band I'm gonna have to revisit, dude. I haven't thought about them in years. What was their hit? It was like uh, uh, telescope, telescope eyes or something like that. Te- uh, telescope eyes, yeah, yeah. Oh, they. Uh, what was that other band that we were in? Uh, the like, remember them? Yeah, yeah. They you. opened for so for okay. Kings, of, Kings of Leon. Did you see them open? Yes, I was there okay. with you, dude. I can't remember if that was Kings of Leon or Spoon. It was Kings of Leon, 100% for sure. I know that, dude. It was uh, The Features. The Features. by The Like and then Kings of Leon. Pretty sure uh, Pretty sure Mitchell was at that show with us. Oh, yeah, dude. Mitchell was at all the Kings of Leon shows with us. Ain't that right, Mitchie? <laughs> all right. Um, uh, Mitchell McKnight. Uh, yeah, so before we get into our outro, real quick, as always, uh, I'm just going to make this short and sweet. Hop onto our website, nofillerpodcast.com. Uh, you can pretty much uh, pretty much get everything that you, that you want on that website. Uh, you can stream our episodes uh, directly from SoundCloud on there. Uh, you can read our show notes for each individual episode where we dive into... Um, Right, we've got a track list for all the songs for each episode. Um, we've got embedded videos with uh, you know concert clips and interviews, links to all of our uh, all of our source material that we pulled. Uh, so if you want to dive a little bit deeper into these artists and albums, um, chances are you'll you'll get some more information on our show notes. And you can subscribe to us on pretty much any app, uh, anything that you use to listen to the pods. We should be on there. Uh, 
Even Stitcher, right, Trev? We're on Stitcher now. Yeah, we were. We were. Uh, yeah, we 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 have been added to Stitcher as well. So, very there cool. You go. Very cool. All right. Um, cool. So so uh, so that's gonna be be it for today. That's <laughs> so that's gonna do it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's gonna do it for today. To close out the episode, uh, we'd like to, you know, pick a, an artist that, um, in this case, an artist that Jimmy E. World mentions as a uh, influence or a band that they got into Jim Atkins in particular. There's an interview that I was watching where he um, references Fugazi as uh, one of his like top three favorite bands. Hmm. Uh, now here's, I've never actually gotten into them. Here's the interesting thing about Fugazi Q. We're about to go full circle. Are you ready? I'm ready. The lead singer of Fugazi is the lead singer of Embrace. Oh my what? God! What is going on here, dude? Oh my God! So basically, Embrace was like very short-lived, and um, the lead singer, uh, his name is Ian McKay, uh, formed Fugazi in 1987. He's been associated with a lot of a lot of acts that um, that have sort of these cult followings. He was also in Minor Threat, which was a hardcore punk band before he came and and did uh, Embrace. So, Before he embraced embrace, that's right, Q. All right, yeah. So that's funny because he, you know, Minor Threat like is hardcore punk with no hint of emo, and then yeah, and they and were does... pretty. They were pretty big. Well, yeah, like I said, they've they've got it's just one of those other kind of like cult following bands, you know. Yeah, I mean? yeah. But um, cool. Yeah, so he did a small stint of emo music with Embrace, and then he went back and and did Fugazi, which which is more like experimental, like punk. Uh, post hardcore. So, anyway, uh, this song is called. Uh, I think this is like, you know, their most popular song. So, um, it's called Waiting Room. It came out for their first album uh, called 13 Songs, which came out in 87. 89, sorry. Uh, came out in 1989. So, again, uh, this is one of Jim Atkins' favorite bands, or at least it was when he was interviewed back in the 90s. Um, all right, so that'll do it. Uh, we're we're going to uh, let the song play us out here. Um, again, this is No Filler Podcast. My name is Travis. And I'm Quentin. See you all next time. Bye-bye.
Explore today's must-have trends and innovative styles at Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. Shop one-of-a-kind finds in today's must-have trends. Explore wall-to-wall deals, furniture, flooring, mattresses, home accents, seasonal favorites, and more. Discover unique new home decor, pillows, accessories, and more. There's something perfect for your style and budget. There's new inventory every day at up to 80% off suggested retail. Discover the style and savings of Mrs. B's Clearance and Outlet. 